Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. 12 Stone, it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, right here across campuses, but all around the country as we have 12 Stone home gatherings everywhere. And I feel like I need to, to preface that we have home gatherings everywhere, but then say, I, I have to say a few things about what's happening right here where 12 Stone campuses are, because uh, we stepped into this morning with like this weird tension of excitement slash, slash we're, we're nervous uh, because the Braves are up 3-1 in the World Series. And... <laughs> And, and, uh, and so if you're watching this somewhere and you're a part of a, a city that wins a lot of championships, can you give us this moment? Like Atlanta fans, uh, we're excited because they're there, but how many of you would just say like, you're not going to be like really at peace that we're going to could do this. I like, could win the world series until the final out because we are, we're so used to, we're so used to heartache, but for right now, go Braves, right? Okay. I had to kind of get that, get that out because uh, we roll into this evening uh, with some expectation, right? Uh, well, welcome to church. Uh, I have a question to get us started right off the top, and it's this. How do you see yourself? Like, how do you think about you? Uh, for me today, my kids are going to be dressed up as Spider-Man or Spider-Men because I have three Spider-Men in my house right now. Um, <laughs> This is their, pause, this is their action shot, my son tells me. He says, this is what Spider-Man does, Daddy. And I said, okay. Uh, and then I wanted you to see their cute faces, so I took their mask off. Um, and, and the baby refused to let us take his mask off. But I have three different Spider-Men in my house. I thought about going after a man-sized Spider-Man outfit, and I decided against that. Nobody needs to be a, a part of that. Uh, I, I wonder, though, in a more deeper way, how do you see yourself? Like, what's your source of, of identity? Where do you find your identity? Now, I know that this is a personal conversation, that this is a sensitive conversation, but I believe it's a conversation that we need to have. So let's, let's define identity for a second. Identity is this. This is our personal understanding of who we are. More simply put, how do you think of you? How do you see you? How do you understand you? What do you believe defines you? And we have identity questions that come out of this. Questions like, who am I? Do I belong? And why am I here? And, and it's important to point out when we begin to talk about identity, we're not talking about what we do. We're talking about something deeper, the values around who we are. And whether you know it or not, you are searching for identity. Every single one of us is trying to find a source of identity. I want to illustrate something, though, to get us started, because we tend to try to define our identity in the wrong ways. So this is a, a little bit of some descriptors of, of me. My name is Trey. Uh, a little bit of a fun fact here. Trey is actually a nickname. I am the third, debating on if I should give you my real name or not. My, my name is Lauren Harold Hildebrandt III. If any of you start calling me Harry, we're not going to be friends anymore, okay? So this is Trey. My last name is, is Hildebrandt. That's my family name. It's a mouthful. I know it's been misspelled and mispronounced my entire life. I've been born in the South, born and raised here in Georgia. Any amens? 
few people, okay? I'm the firstborn of four kids. I have a little brother and two little sisters. As I grew up, I'm a sports fan. And in college sports, I'm a Florida State fan, which has been uh, very depressing recently. And if you boo for that, Jesus sees you in his house. But as we just celebrated, we're also, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. As I grew up, began to notice that I'm pretty type A, kind of driven, get things done in my personality. I'm an extrovert. I'm loud. I, I like to talk a little bit. I became a pastor in my early 20s, got married to my wife when I was 23, and I'm a dad of three kids. And quickly, you see how just a few words, and notice I didn't put anything bad on here. I'm not talking about sin that's in my life that would describe me, but these are things that are true of me that describe me. And you could take just a few moments and you you could probably fill your words out as well. And you could have your cloud of words that kind of describes you. The problem is we begin to tie our personal identity to these descriptors. And though these things are not necessarily bad or good, there are things that should only describe you, but begin to define you. And when that happens, we begin to attach our value to these labels and descriptions. And we chalk up who we are this way because we don't know another way to see ourselves. But finding your true identity is so much more than these things. So I'd love for us to see kind of the truth for the teaching and then we'll teach it and unpack it from there. It's pretty simple. When we try to find our identity in anything outside of Jesus, that is our circumstances, our relationships, our emotions, our feelings, anything, when we try to find our identity in anything outside of Jesus, the final destination is an undelivered promise. Isaiah 43, starting in verse 1, says it like this, But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. See, God has declared from the beginning that your identity is his child. He calls you mine. And anything less than living in that truth will fall short of delivering on the promise of what you need from identity. Answering those questions of who am I, do I belong, and why am I here? But don't we often mix up what describes us and what defines us? I want to share a pretty personal story with you guys. It happened early in, in marriage. I've been married for three or four months, and I was a student pastor at a different church, and my wife had been at another church, and she was working there, and we got married. She joined me at the church I was at, and her life changed uh, a lot. There was a new church, new people, new friends, new husband. Now, her husband was dastardly handsome, strong, and charming, but she had a new husband, and she was in a brand new environment. And on Wednesday nights, we gathered our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, and there was one night that I just felt like went really, really well. Like My wife was there. Uh, my, uh, this, God was moving in the students. It was a ton of fun. Uh, there was a ton of students there, and it's one of those nights where I got in my car afterwards, and I drove home feeling good. My wife had gone home a little bit ahead of me, and maybe 30, 45 minutes, 45 minutes later, I make it home. I go into the house again. I'm feeling good, and I walk into the kitchen, and there's my wife standing in the kitchen crying. Now, husbands, you've probably found yourself in a moment like that, and you're just completely at a loss. And wives, I don't want to give your husbands an out right now, but sometimes we really don't know what the world's going on. And, and just, just know that we don't mean to be that dumb. We just kind of are that dumb sometimes. And so she's crying in our kitchen, and I'm at a loss. I don't know what has happened. We begin to talk, 
And as I mentioned, there are some things that describe me. Type A, kind of driven, get things done. And that particular night, I had been in go mode. And my wife goes on to tell me that she said through the entire evening of ministry at church, I had not even stopped to tell her hello. And she was in our kitchen feeling alone. She looked at me and she said, I would just hope for one moment that you would give me the same eye contact that you give volunteers. Whew. What was happening? I had swapped what I do for who I am. I was valuing the wrong things. I had mixed up what describes me for what defines me. And as a result, I had messed up my identity in those moments and it cost me with my wife. We all find this type of thing happening in our lives at some point, don't we? What happens is we begin to constantly fantasize because we're always mixing this up. We begin to fantasize about moving from one source of identity to another. It's like we're bandwagon fans of identity. You know what bandwagon fans are. They're looking for the most popular thing, what feels good in the moment, and that's where people jump to. I mean, think about your life. Maybe you know there have been times where you've jumped from one source of identity to the next source of identity. Maybe it's in a job. A job that once felt great, provided for your family, and then you get bored of it and you have to jump to another one. Maybe it happens in marriage. The romance and the passion seems to subside and you think, man, maybe I'll be happier with somebody else. Maybe politics. I'm just joking. I'm not going to go there. Um, But it happens in church. I love my church. Something happens. I'm off to the next. Maybe it happens with a friend group. You're in that with your friends and things are, are seem good socially and something gets a little difficult. So you're off to the next friend group and our feelings begin to lead us from one bandwagon of identity to the next thing. And we get caught in this cycle of jumping from one of life's bandwagons to the next. And something is not settled inside of us because we have to settle our identity at a soul level. And as I said a moment ago, only Jesus can do that. So here's what I want us to do today. I want you to take all of the descriptors of your life, what you would fill in around this, put your name here and leave this white for the rest of the teaching. And I know this is impossible, but take your idea of yourself, take how you think about you and put it in a mental box and put it on the shelf for the rest of this teaching. And let's go after this question together of how do I find my identity? Give yourself a fresh start today to discover how you find your identity. We'll be digging into Colossians chapter three for the bulk of this. But first, I want to throw the teaching up here. We're going to walk through it. We need to see this as a whole in order to understand how this works. So how do I find my identity? I look up in Christ. I look in to his design and I look around for purpose. Pretty simple, right? Look up, look in and look around. We need to see it all at once because the order matters. All three of these steps are crucial in finding your identity, but the order in which you find your identity in this matters because we start by looking up to Christ. He is the foundation for our identity. He is the primary place that we find our worth and our value and what defines us, who he is, what he has done for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And then now what he says about us is where we have to start first with our identity. And then after we look in or look up to Christ, we can look into our design. How did God create us? He has designed your gifts, your passions, your personality, your body, your opportunities. He placed you in the family that you in and where you're at on the map. This is all 
by design. And then we look around to other people because when you settle your identity, it actually moves you towards other people to live with purpose and to make an impact. And and again, here's why the, the order matters. When you button up a shirt, think about this. This is an analogy. When you button a shirt, how you button the first button matters the most, right? First of all, as I was preparing for this teaching, I realized that there was a disparity on if you start from the bottom or you start from the top. So I'm, I, apparently I'm a weirdo. I start from the bottom. Anybody else start from the bottom and you button up a shirt? How many of you are like, you are all ridiculous. You start from the top. Okay. I don't know which one's right. The analogy works either way. So if I were to button from the bottom and I get the first button wrong and I continue to button my shirt, it becomes a mess. And some of you are so OCD. You're not even hearing a word coming out of my mouth as you see my shirt looking like this. If I had stepped out and started teaching like this, you're like, I'm out. I got to go. But when I button the first button properly, the rest of the shirt is right. When you button things properly, the rest of the shirt is right. When you find your identity first in the right place, you can then begin to find your identity in and around. But watch what happens if you get this wrong with your identity. If you don't look up to Jesus first to settle your identity, you'll look in first. And if you look in first for your identity, you will allow your feelings to define your identity. And that is a really messy and destructive place to find yourself. If you look around first, you will allow for other people to determine your identity and you will compare yourself and you will live for the approval of others. And that will put you in a very defeated place. But when you look to Jesus first as the source of your identity, as the primary foundation for who you are, then you can look in and discover your design and then look around to discover your purpose. We got it. So let's start. Yeah, let's start. Colossians chapter three. We're going to look at this whole chapter. Uh, Paul is writing to the early church and he's actually talking to them in Colossians chapter three about how to live in this new self, how to live in their identity. So Colossians three, starting in verse one, listen for look up. Since then you have been raised up with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This passage immediately reminds us to look up for our source of identity. It says, set your mind and your heart on things, what? Above. Your life is now hidden with Christ. One day you will appear with him in glory. Pastor and author Paul David Tripp talks about what it means for us when we don't look up for our identity. He says this, there is always the temptation this side of eternity to look for identity horizontally, but never looking there delivers what you seek and never results in good fruit. So what we do is we exchange the stability of vertical identity for the instability of horizontal identity. And a horizontal thing can never sustain the weight of your identity. It never delivers what it promises. I mean, think about how easily, though, we are pulled aside by horizontal influences off of what we know to be true and right and good. Well, tomorrow is November 1st. And some of you know that it is true and right and good 
to go ahead and put up your Christmas tree. And some of you are horizontal influences saying, wait till after Thanksgiving. And I'm here to tell you today that you can be thankful in Thanksgiving and merry and bright at the same time. So don't, don't listen to those influences. You see, we, we, have, we know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you know that what it feels like to have your attention vertically on Jesus, but then to have these horizontal influences that are pulling you down towards him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, let me explain something to us. Why do we do this? Why do we latch on to horizontal things? I have to start with, with bad news. We are sinners. We are busted and broken. We are rebels against God and all good things. Our desires are out of whack because of sin. And because of sin, our eternal trajectory is actually towards hell, distant from God. I know that that is a, a heavy truth, but we sit in it and we, we have to realize that sin is the great destroyer of all things good. It's the destroyer of our nearness to God. And then sin ruins, distorts, and confuses our identity. Nothing is as it should be because sin is present. Paul actually begins to list some of the specific sins when we don't look up to Jesus. This is what it looks like in our lives sometimes. He says, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, this old self, your old identity, put it to death. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these in the, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self, your old identity, your horizontal identity with its practices. So we all have a little bit of this still in our lives, don't we? I've got some earthly nature. You've got some earthly nature. Maybe that's a phrase you could use in your home when you see your kids acting up or your spouse, hey, your earthly nature is showing. Like it's still, it's still there. We feel stuck in our old self sometimes because get this, sin does not just mess up our eternity. Sin messes up our identity. And then we begin to look for lesser things to satisfy the need of a strong source of identity. Ever since sin has entered into humanity, we have looked horizontally for what we've been designed to find vertically. Our souls have been emptied out, and now we seek affirmation for our identity in all the wrong places. We seek it in the approval of people, whether that's family, friends, work, social media, or church. We seek an identity in power and status and comfort and sexuality and talent. We seek identity and image and wealth in our political camp. We sometimes find our identity in our past, our struggles, and our failures. And we find our identity in our skills, and our wins, and our successes. And no matter what those things are, they will all eventually break down under the weight of being the source of your identity because they cannot handle being where you find your identity. But Jesus... And his grace and love and his mercy rescues us from all of this. We have sin and we've messed up. And maybe you feel completely covered up by your sin. You feel completely defined by your failures. You wonder if God has enough love for you. And the promise of the gospel is he absolutely does. Because this is what Jesus has done. He has stepped into creation and he lived a perfect life. Therefore, he did not deserve death. We are sinners, and the payment for our sin is death. 
But Jesus chose to die in our place on the cross so that we might live. His love drove him to die in your place to pay for your sin. Now, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, we get new life. We get a new identity. You and I are not defined by our sin any longer. Scripture says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is a complete exchange of identity, and this is the best news you and I have ever heard. That we get his righteousness as if it was ours. And then he carries our sin as if it was his. And this is why Colossians 3 says, you have been raised up with Christ. That phrase actually means, it's the same words that in the original language that would say that you've been co-resurrected with Jesus. Which means when Jesus rose from the grave after dying on the cross for you, he sealed your identity in him forever. The gospel has secured your future. And this is really good news. And the news gets better because we have to see it as a gift. Vertically, identity is a gift. Horizontally, identity has to be earned. Why would we shop for something horizontally that we've been given vertically? We are exhausted in life trying to earn approval, trying to earn our identity. But Jesus gives it to us as a gift. And then the gospel changes your identity and it changes how we live. The gospel changes more than your eternal direction, but it gives you what you need to live for Jesus today. Hey, I'll be the first one to say that even if you have a relationship with Jesus, your old identity nags at you, right? That earthly nature, it nags at you. It's like an annoying little pest that just won't go away. You feel it rising up inside of you. And at times, Christianity has not done a good job of teaching what it means to live in your identity as a follower of Jesus. We tend to chalk it up to changing behavior. You know what I'm saying? We tend to chalk it up to a list of things that you can't do if you're a follower of Jesus. And we begin to think about following Jesus as a long list of no's. I can't do that because I'm a Christian. But there is such a better way because when Jesus actually gives you a new identity, he is inviting you to live for him, not just against sin. And he's giving you what you need to do it. So living for Jesus is is less about knowing what not to do, but it's actually positive, reminding you of what you get to do. It's negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement. There's going to be times when you and I need to learn how to say no to sin. But our disposition should be a little bit different. That living for Christ is not staring at our sin and saying, I shouldn't do that. But we've been given a new identity, and now we get to look up to Jesus where there is hope and life and freedom and joy and identity. And we get, and this, this is what it means to live for Christ. You say yes to him. And as you wake up every day and your love for Jesus rises and you rest in your identity as someone who has been made brand new by the gospel, you run to him. And then as a result of you running to him, you leave sin behind. It's a better way to live. Following Jesus should not be this this arduous, frustrating, exhausting journey. There's freedom and there's life and there's hope in saying yes to him. Living for Jesus is more about who he is inside of you and less about who you are not. 
We live as if, man, I'm not enough, so I need Jesus. You're right. You're not enough. You do need Jesus. But once you have a new identity in him, he has given you everything that you need to live in that new identity. So we pull back and we ask ourselves that identity question. Who am I? Who am I? Very simply, you are his because of Jesus. And after we settle who we are in Christ, then we can look in. And this is where identity gets very unique to each one of us. Colossians chapter three goes on to show it to us. We look in for our design, says this, and have to put on the new self. So we're putting on the new self identity, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, listen to these labels that God gives us as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Pay attention to the words self and renewed, self and renewed, renewed, renewed to what renewed to the image of the one who actually created you. The problem is we tend to live our lives according to an image that we've chosen for ourselves. Rather than live in the image of the one who created us, we tend to choose an identity for ourselves according to ourselves, but we are not self-created. We are God created. We don't get to make up our own identity because the maker has settled that for us. And think about how powerful this is. He didn't just create you, but he created you like you, your nature, your personality, your body, your gifts, your talents. His design of you was not accidental or arbitrary. It is intentional. Again, we see it in Isaiah. Beautiful passage. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. And our God is such a good artist as he molds the clay and moves the clay and sculpts the clay with intention and purpose. And the clay doesn't look back up to the potter and say, hey, like, what, what, why are you making me this way? What are you doing this for? No, we, we settle in the goodness in the heart of our potter of the father who is making us and designing us for his purposes. You know, and it really is, is, is pretty simple to see how practical this is. So let me, let me pull the room. Uh, I'll, I'll throw up a couple things. You raise your hand with the one that applies to you. How many of you are uh, like your artist versus kind of sports? Like you like art, drama, music, raise your hand if you're more of the arts, sports people. Okay. What about indoors versus outdoors? Indoor people? Like, keep me inside, please. Uh, outdoor people? Okay. How many of you, uh, this is a fun one for, for spouses. Spenders and savers, where are my spenders at? Yeah, we have fun. Uh, savers, where are you? Yeah, we sometimes do. In three years after we save enough, we will uh, have enough fun. Where are my loud people? Quiet people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> What if all of that was intentional? It is. Scripture says in Psalm 139 that God crafted you in your mother's womb. His love is set on you the, the way you are. It doesn't mean that there's not sin that God's going to try to work into your life but, and work out of your life, but, but it means is that God loves you the way that you are, not a future version of you or a pretend version of you. But go back to where we started 
If you were to write out your descriptors, some of you are in this room today and you would draw out who you think you are and you don't like you very much. You're frustrated, you feel defeated. You feel broken, you feel like you mess everything up. You're wondering, why does God even have you here? You're asking that question, do I belong? Because you don't feel that you belong anywhere. And you begin to list what describes you and you're thinking, I don't like that list. I don't like me. And if you hear anything today, I hope you know that God loves the whole you. And he made you. There's worth and there's value and there's identity in the way God created you. And as we settle our identity in him, watch what happens. You take all of these descriptors, all of these things that kind of tell the story of what you're like, and you put it underneath the banner of in Christ. And all of it begins to move in that direction. These things begin to bow to the larger value of being in Christ. And, and this is what's beautiful. What happens when you realize that your descriptors bow to Jesus, you don't have to dismiss what describes you. You can embrace what describes you as God's design. And that thing about you that you hate you begin to see, God, what are you doing in me? Why did you make me this way? And your disposition has shifted. You say, all right, God, I want to know your design of me and why. Instead of questioning, you learn to trust. And it's in this that we begin to get the answer to that question. Do I belong? Do I belong? You belong more than you could ever understand or imagine. You belong in the kingdom of God because of Jesus, you belong with friends and you belong here at 12 stone. So whether you're in a 12 stone home gathering or you're out of campus, take a deep breath with me and, and look to somebody and just say, you belong. Don't be cheesy. <laughs> look for somebody and say, Hey, you belong. You belong. For some of you, that's exactly what you need to hear today. And then after we look up and find our identity in Christ and we look in to find our design intentionality by God when he made us, we can look around for our purpose. In Colossians chapter three, going down to verse 12, we see how this begins to shape out. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalm, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When you begin to realize that that. Your identity was not made just for you. You actually begin to find freedom to live as God created you to live. Did you notice all of those one another's and someone's in that passage of scripture? Here is a very important truth for us today. Identity and individualism are different things. Finding your true identity does not make you more individualistic. That is more self-focused. It actually does the opposite and frees you up to be more about other people. 
Therefore, identity is never fulfilled until we live with the purpose of being for others. So we come back to that identity question of why am I here? Here's the answer. To leverage your unique identity in Christ to make an impact on the world around you. That's why you're here. To leverage your unique identity in Christ to make an impact on the world around you. Helping others, blessing others, serving others, sharing the gospel. There is somebody, if you look around and begin to live with a sense of purpose, there is somebody waiting on you to be the one to live with purpose. And maybe you think, I, I, I don't know. My purpose is unclear. I don't know what I bring to the table. I, maybe you're struggling with, with what we were talking about a moment ago with, with even just how, how you are and what you're like. But I need you to know today that God has given you everything you need to live with purpose right now. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to expand your purpose in the future or open up future doors, but there is somebody that you need to reach today and God has given you everything you need to reach that person today. You have purpose. Not only do we have purpose around us in the community and in the world around us, but we have purpose right here inside of the family of God. We need to be the type of people who remind each other of our identity in Christ inside of our church. It could be a simple encouragement. It could be a, a prayer. It could be a correction done in love. But since identity is so fragile, we need to constantly remind each other of our true identity in Christ. And you may not have all the answers. You may not feel like you have a ton of wisdom, but you can always look somebody in the eye and remind them of who they are in Christ. And add that worth and add that value and remind them of the gospel. In a very personal way, we, we've tried to do this with our sons. A few years ago, a pastor introduced me to this idea of identity statements. And so my wife and I get together. We got to collect our convictions for our sons. And we wrote out these identity statements for our sons. We printed them out, put them on their, on their dresser. We have to print it out and put it on their dresser multiple times because, of course, it gets torn in half and things like that. But we put these identity statements on their dresser and we talk through these sometimes in the evenings. And they're just simple identity statements because we want to be the type of family that reminds each other of who they are in Christ. And I pray the same thing for us at 12 Stone Church. That we would be the type of family who reminds each other of who we are in Christ. At the top of this, this document, the simple phrase is, this is who I am. This is who I am. And there's about 12 statements that we're teaching to the boys. It starts with this. It says, I am a follower of Jesus. He has rescued me, so he is first in my life. With deep affection and passion, I will serve and love him faithfully. The next one is, I'm a man of integrity. I'm the same person in private as I am in public. My character is godly no matter what. Obedience to Jesus always leads to freedom. There are other ones that say, I love everyone. All people are valuable to God, so they have value to me. No difference in race, background, opinion, status, wealth, or habits can keep me from loving people in front of me. You add a few more. I work hard. I laugh often. I'm a soul winner. And it finishes with this phrase. This is who I am. This is who God made me to be. Lord, help me live in my identity. We say that to our boys to remind them of who they are in Christ, to remind them of, of, of who he is and what he has done for them. To look up. Everything around us is constantly shifting and changing, but being able to set your identity in Jesus, whose love never changes, 
is the only place to find your identity for the duration of your life and then for eternity. And then look in. God designed you. You are no mistake. And I want my sons to look around. I want you to look around and realize that you have purpose. And true identity is never fulfilled if it dead ends on yourself, but it's always fulfilled when it moves outward towards other people with purpose. Maybe today is an encouragement to you because you, you feel like you're, you're on this path. You don't get it right all the time, but you're looking to Jesus. You're trusting his design of you and you're looking outward to others. Maybe today is a little bit like a, a warning siren or you've been placing your identity in things that cannot deliver on the promise of being enough, cannot deliver on the promise of satisfying your need for identity, and you just realize today that that is why some things are falling apart. It's because you've put something else at the center of your identity, and it's not Jesus. Again, maybe it's because you don't like you, and as a result, you don't like God because of how he made you. And today you're going to trust. And then you're going to move into the lives of others. Over the past couple of weeks at 12 Stone, if you haven't seen the sermons, we've been talking a lot about what we're going to go do as a church. I think today needs to sit, not as what we're going to go do as a church, but the first thing that we need to, to collectively agree on is sometimes you just have to have a disposition of Jesus I'm here. And we need God's help, don't we? We need God's help to settle our identity. So kind of in a spirit of prayer, campus pastors, 12th and home leaders are going to finish this prayer. I'm going to start a prayer for us. However you feel led to kind of get your disposition open. It may be open your hands like this. It may be just simply shut your eyes if you feel comfortable. Love to lead a prayer asking for God's power and God's help that we would find stability in vertical identity with him and we would be able to say yes to Jesus in a way that shapes our identity perhaps unlike ever before. Just take a moment and think about that. In the spirit of prayer, Take a breath. Can I take spiritual inventory of your life? Look up to Jesus where you don't have to earn his love. You don't have to perform for his love. He has set his love on you. Not a different version of you on you. And look in. There are things that are true about you that you've wondered why, God, why am I not good enough? Why don't I have more talent? Why do I struggle on the job? I don't know. Pray that God would remove those defeating thoughts and those discouraging thoughts and help you trust him. We are the clay. He is the potter. He makes no mistake. 
And then we look around. There's a person that God's already bringing to your mind. You've been telling yourself that you would make an impact on their life or on that family or on that street or on that school or on that community. You've told yourself you would do it and maybe do it one day. And the encouragement today is God has given everything you need to make an impact on who he wants you to make an impact on right now. You find your identity. Look up, look in, and look around. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.